Well, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, you know, as we've been going through the book of Luke, uh, one of the major themes that continues to recur is um, how awful religion is and how cruel uh, religious people are. Uh, and we're going to see that same thing again this morning in this this text uh, uh, there's a religious person, and then there's a individual who is desperately in need of God's forgiveness and grace. And Jesus, folks, is all about grace, love, and forgiveness. And that's the prayer uh, for our church, that that's who we will be in this community. Now, as we look at this text this morning, it's a unique situation that occurs. Don't associate this text with uh, three other texts that talk about the Jesus' feet, um, the, the anointing of Jesus by, by Lazarus' sister, uh, Mary. This is, a, this is a unique text uh, in the book of Luke. And it, uh, it's it's occurring, Simon, Simon is the uh, Pharisee, he's invited Jesus over to his house for a meal. Now this, there's only one other situation where a Pharisee got together individually with Jesus, and that story was about Nicodemus. And he got together with Jesus in, in, in the middle of the night to have a conversation. But uh, Simon's bold here, and he invites Jesus over for a meal. Now why does Simon invite him over for a meal. We don't know for sure. It may be that he wanted to have a religious conversation. Maybe that they wanted to study uh, something out of the Old Testament or something of this nature. Um, It may be that uh, Simon wanted to boast about uh, who he had over for, for a meal because Jesus now is of celebrity status. Okay, so it's a big deal that Jesus is coming to to his house. But uh, given that scenario, let's read uh, the first few verses of uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Let's stop right there for a moment. I want to talk about um, three different receptions here. First is Simon the Pharisee. Uh, Simon's uh, reception of Jesus was uh, very, very cold. It was a cold reception. And, and as he's coming into um, this uh, place for this, this meal and uh, He's at the table. Don't think of Jesus' feet underneath the table. 
Okay, he's reclining at this table. The the tables in the New Testament culture, they were low to the ground. And there, there would be cushions around the table. And so people would be reclining. They would be laying on their left side, uh, either being propped up by their elbow or their arm. And their feet, which were unclean, uh, were away from the table. So here are the guests. They're all reclining at the table. And... Uh, when Jesus has come into the house, uh, he's not warmly received. There's some tension in the air because no one has washed Jesus' feet. Typically, when you have guests come over, the, the servant will wash the, the feet of the guests. Uh, they will anoint um, the guest with oil on their head. They will greet them with uh, a warm um, um, embrace, a kiss. None of this has occurred in this text. Uh, Simon is rather skeptical of Jesus. Uh, Simon isn't interested in touching Jesus, embracing Jesus. Simon wants to have an intellectual conversation with uh, this person who claims to be the Messiah in Simon doesn't believe that Jesus is a Messiah. In fact, he doesn't believe that Jesus is a prophet as we go further into the text. So here Jesus is in uh, Simon's home. They're in a courtyard, okay? And so in the courtyard, they're they're reclining at this table. And uh, when guests are invited over to someone's house of prominence, uh, the courtyard is open to the public. And so people can come in and they can listen to the conversation that's taking place there, but they, they have to sit around the perimeter of the courtyard. They're not invited at the table. And so this is the scenario with, uh, with Simon. Coming into this courtyard is a woman. And the Bible says she is a woman of the city who is a sinner. Folks, you don't have to use your imagination very, very much to, to figure out what kind of reputation she, she is, uh, that she has. She's a prostitute. She's a streetwalker. She's used to um, people talking about her, people staring at her in, in public. And here she comes into this courtyard. She's probably full of a lot of guilt, but she's desperate to get to Jesus. You know, it reminds me of a, a gentleman about six months ago that came to our, our church for a little while. He was in the Navy. He was getting uh, relocated somewhere else, but uh, he had come to the end of himself. Um, he had an issue with alcohol. And he came into the office and he needed to talk to the pastor and get this off his chest. Uh, uh, Randy Draves is here. Randy, you remember that conversation uh, with that uh, gentleman in the, uh, in the lobby. And uh, what, what a great conversation I had with him as he just began to pour out, to confess his sin. And I was able to share with him Jesus' love for him and uh, kind of help him uh, find some resources to get him on, on another path. That's kind of the picture of this woman here in this passage of Scripture. She needs to get to Jesus. And, 
And she comes in and she doesn't sit at the perimeter, listen in on the conversation. No, she goes right up to where Jesus is reclining. She's at his feet. She begins to cry. And uh, not just not just little tears. But she begins, begins to gush. I mean, it's really emotional. And as she's standing there over the feet of Jesus, the Bible says that tears land on his feet. And she looks at his feet and she sees that Jesus' feet haven't been washed. And here, here, here is the water from her heart dropping on Jesus' feet and it's beginning to make Jesus' feet a muddy mess which just creates more emotion. I mean, she's just out of control at this point. She stoops, she bends down, and she's not prepared for this. She didn't bring any Kleenex. Um, She doesn't think about using the clothing. What she thinks about is taking the hair that's wrapped up kind of in a bun because that's how women in the New Testament wore their hair. They didn't wear it down because uh, this was something that was only reserved for husbands behind uh, closed doors when they relax. It was a symbol of a woman's glory as well. But she takes, she lets her hair down and she begins to wipe the muddy mess with her hair, drying her Jesus' feet, her tears. She takes her the, the flask of ointment, the perfume that she would use to make herself more presentable, beautiful to men that she would service. She broke the flask and poured the ointment onto his feet. And here she is with her hair, and she's doing all of this simultaneously, and she continues to weep. And, and just look at her. Imagine yourself, here is this woman with this hair that is an absolute mess. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what others are thinking about. She's just focused on Jesus. The tears that she is expressing to Jesus, there's nothing erotic about it. She's just overwhelmed with who Jesus is. If if you look at a harmony of the Gospels, obviously this uh, woman has been listening to Jesus' message. And one of the messages that we're familiar with, just before this incident in the harmony of the Gospels, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. She was looking for. By faith, she believes who Jesus is and just, she just wants to express her emotions, her gratitude to God. And so that's the second response. Simon, he's cold, he's heartless. He doesn't want to touch Jesus. He just wants to have a conversation. And this woman, she wants to emotionally connect with her Lord and Savior. And then there's Jesus. How does Jesus respond? He's at the table And we don't see any indication that Jesus is repulsed by her actions. You know, he doesn't move his feet and, you know, and is uh, offended or 
thinking of, to himself, you know, this, this woman is unclean. She can't be touching me. She has a reputation. No. Jesus totally receives it. And I want you to know this morning, church, friend, maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you're here for the first time. You've kind of looked around. You felt uncomfortable in this room because, um, you know, if people knew your story, uh, you're not sure you would be welcomed here. I want you to know you're welcomed here. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus, he loves every one of us. How do I know that? Because Jesus received this this woman's worship, and he hasn't changed. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So Jesus is warmly receiving this this sinner's uh, act of worship. Now, there's no dialogue that's been taking place, okay? Not a word has been spoken. And so let's continue the story, story, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. When Jesus says that, you know, uh, it's not going to be good, okay? And he answered, say it, sir. Say it, teacher. And Jesus shared a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I say to you, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this dialogue begins without a word having been said, because Jesus, as he's receiving this sinful woman's worship, he's hearing the conversation that's going on in Simon's head loud and clear. What is Simon saying? Simon is saying, doesn't he know who is touching him? Surely he can't be a prophet. Now, Simon didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, nor does he believe that he's a prophet, because had he been a prophet, he would have known the 
the reputation, the lifestyle of this woman who was touching Jesus. But Jesus is even more than a prophet. The text is communicating to us one more time, church, who Jesus really is. He's God. Because in verses 48 and 49, you know, Jesus tells the woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And what does the audience there, how do they react? (gasps) Who in the world does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. You're right. And Jesus is God. He's part of the of the Trinity. He's the God who has become flesh. And one more time, the text points this out to us. Simon didn't believe that. And so Jesus tells a parable. There's two de- debtors. The money lender has lent to one and the equivalent of 50 denarii were two months' worth of wages. The other, 500 denarii. That was 20 months' worth of wages. And Jesus asked the question to Simon, now which one of them will love him more if both, both debts are erased? What does Simon says? Well, I suppose the one who has been forgiven of the larger debt. And Jesus and, and And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You know, Simon is clueless about this this parable. But who does this parable represent? The one who has been forgiven the lesser, the 50 denarii, who does that represent? It represents Simon. You know, Simon sees himself as a moralist, a pretty good person. And, uh, And so, you know what? He doesn't see himself as a sinner, and so there's not much to be forgiven of. Whereas this woman, Simon sees everything about who this woman is, and so, yeah, she has a huge debt. Jesus knows this. He says, who's going to love more? And Simon answers correctly. And this woman is expressing her love and gratitude, appreciation for all that Jesus is doing. But basically what it comes down to, church, is this. When it comes to our debt before God, you know what? We are all bankrupt. None of us can pay back the debt that we owe Jesus. But unfortunately... Simon doesn't see himself as broke. Simon doesn't see himself as destitute. And that's why we see Simon with this cold, um, unreceptive, unemotional heart because he's a pretty good guy. But for the sinful woman, she knows how destitute She really is. She knows Jesus is going to pay it all. And all to him she owes. And so we see her loving Jesus back. Simon is is blinded. His own self-righteousness blinds him to his own 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 debt 
that he owes God. Oh, he can see clearly the debt of the sinful woman. You know, he's got that all spelled out, but he's blind to his own debt. And it's only church, God's mercy in our lives that will make us aware of our own sin. Who loved most in this passage of scripture? It was the sinful woman. And you know, some of the greatest saints, rather in history and in scripture, some of the greatest saints have been forgiven of the greatest sins. St. Augustine, early church father, um, uh, an incredible theologian for probably the first 10 centuries of the church. Um, was an incredible sinner. Before he came to Christ, he was had lived with a woman for 10 years. They had an illegitimate child, but he had, a, he had an encounter with the grace of God, and God radically transformed St. Augustine's life and was a huge influence on the early church. I think of uh, John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. And... Uh, John Newton encountered the grace of God and and he penned a hymn that we love to sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God took him from sin and darkness and gave him a brand new life. We see people in the the New Testament. I think of uh, the Apostle Peter. If you go to... um, we know what what's how Peter failed Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. Did you know that that story is found in all four Gospels? I would make a bet that Peter went to each of those disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, listen, if you're going to write about the life of Jesus, make sure that you include how I failed him and how he restored me. Peter is one of the significant apostles of the New Testament church. We know the apostle Paul. Paul knew his his sinful past and he never forgot it. What's required? If we're going to love Jesus more church, what's in, what's required? It's a consciousness of personal sin. A consciousness of personal sin. We need to remind ourselves of how much God has forgiven us of. Now, that doesn't give you or I permission today to go out and live like a heathen, live a depraved life, and then ask God for forgiveness. No, you know, and, and some of us have grown up in the church. You know, I've grown up in the church. Mom, my parents brought me to church since the day I was born. I received Jesus at a very early age. I, I don't have one of those testimonies where God took me from a seedy past and, uh, and just uh, forgave me. No, I have, a, I have a pretty boring testimony. 
but I want you to know that my debt was just as deep as the filthiest of sinners here in this room. We are all desperately in need of the grace of God. And so there needs to be a consciousness of our own personal sin. My pad went off again. Somebody's going to have to help me with this pad to uh, let it stay on longer. (laughs) Here we go. Well, I'm getting that totally different screen. Well, I need to look at my my listening sheet because I guess I can figure it out there. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I don't know what you're going to do now. <clears throat> Maybe. All right. So the depth the depth and passion of our personal Christianity depends on how clearly we see our Let's go to the next Next slides. You're going to have to help me, Garrett. Fill in the blanks. The depth and passion of our personal Christianity depends on how clearly we see our personal guilt and then our forgiveness of Christ. This this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. Folks, if you want to love Jesus, if you want to be used of God, if you want to express your love back to him, you, you need to be reminded of your own personal depravity. Nobody here is any better than anybody else. When it comes to the cross, the ground is level. And I don't care if you if your debt is 50 or 500, you are in debt. You are bankrupt and it's only Jesus who can erase the debt. If we don't have that heart of gratitude for all that Christ has done in our life. Sinners come into our church going to sense a condescending attitude of the saints as if we're better than them. And we're going to have attitudes that reflect Simon. That's not what Jesus would have us to be. Jesus was not afraid of sinners touching him. He knew who this woman was. He knew her reputation and he was not repulsed by her. He warmly received her worship. Jesus forgave her. Now, don't think that it was her tears. It was her it was her act of worship that led to her salvation. No. Jesus says, "It is your faith that has saved you. Has forgiven her of her sin. Go now in peace." 
Folks, this is what our church is to be like. A few, uh, several weeks ago, we got together as a strategic leadership team on a weekend, and we we talked about ministries that um, we believe God is leading us to provide in our community. And one of those ministries is at the top of our list. In fact, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we're, we're getting together in room A10 and we're praying about these various ministries. And we're believing God to raise up uh, leaders who will help lead these various ministries. I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights to pray. Pray about uh, what we want to see God do among us. But one of the ministries that we're praying about is Be the Church on Wednesday nights. Now, we do the Be the Church uh, once a year in our community, and that's coming up the last last Sunday in, in uh, April. But uh, people have said, well, how can we be the church, not just on one day of the year, but how can we be the church you know, throughout the entire year. And someone suggested the idea that we take our Wednesday night program, our Wednesday night um, schedule, and we provide a Wednesday night dinner free of charge to the community. We would invite our neighbors across the street in the trailer park um, and others, maybe La Mirage, Oasis area. We haven't given up on that ministry. You know, we believe God's leading us there too. But let's come together on Wednesday nights and let's provide a meal for free to the community who needs it. Kind of like what the Methodist Church is doing on Friday nights at their church. And so we provide this meal and uh, and then we'll have people in our dining hall that uh, will be just kind of like, um, we'll have people assigned to each of the tables and, and we'll just sit down and we'll listen to people's stories, find out. Find out what their needs are. And then from those needs, provide other ministry on Wednesday nights. It's a great idea. This is what Jesus would have us to do. We're good at providing ministry for ourselves. But Jesus wants us to provide ministry for those who need it most. Now we're you know we're to be good stewards of this facility and take care of this facility. But you know I don't think Jesus is real impressed with ensuring that our carpets are always clean, that things are always sterile and and uh just well taken care of. You're ministering to the community when you're Ministering to people who are in need of God's grace. You know what? The building's going to get used. We're going to be touching people that need to be touched. And people are going to be able to touch the body of Christ. We're the church. The church is the body of Christ. And just as Jesus allowed this sinful woman to touch him. We need to invite sinners into this into this facility. Share with them the grace of God.
But if we don't see the debt of our sin, if we think that we have, that God has just forgiven us little, well, we're no different than Simon, who was blinded to his own debt because he was so full of his own self-righteousness. Oh, it was easy for him to see the sin of the sinful woman, but he couldn't see his own sin. Church, we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. And if we have the heart of Jesus, sinners are not going to be afraid to come through those doors because they know Jesus is here. Let's be Jesus. How much do you love? Do you love little or do you love lots? Religious people do the least. Simon, he did the minimum. He didn't wash the feet of Jesus. He didn't greet Jesus with a a kiss. He didn't put oil on his head. Simon did the minimum. But those who are forgiven of much, they love much. They're involved in the ministry. I want to encourage you to get involved. When Adele was up here and she was talking about Um, needs in the preschool area and getting involved? Were you like the sinful woman? Oh, I need to do that. I need to get involved. Or were you you like Simon? I'm not going to get down on my knees and look those little ones in the eyes. I'm not going to change diapers. That's beneath me. Simon. work with junior hires? you got to be kidding. Have you ever met a junior hire before? You know what? Someone who's been forgiven of much has been wired to minister to junior hires. You guess what? They're going to want to minister to junior hires. Do you know the debt that Jesus has forgiven you of. Let's pray. The quietness of this moment right where you're at can, if you're a follower of Christ, can you just say thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sin? If you're a person who loves little, my friend, know that Jesus has erased a debt that you can never repay. Come conscious of your personal depravity. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not crossed that line of faith yet. 
but you're kind of like this sinful woman. You've been overwhelmed with, with guilt. You're not proud of your reputation. Jesus sees all past that stuff. He sees your potential. And my friend in Christ, you have great potential. And he wants to give you a brand new start. By faith, would you cross the lines? Tell him you believe. My friend, are you doing the minimum? Stop. Get involved. If God has tugged on your heart about participating in ministry, maybe being the church on Wednesday night, you want to help provide a meal or you want to be on a team that can help serve a meal, let us know through the connection card. Father, we're here, and just like the sinful woman, we want to express our heart, our gratitude for all, Jesus, that you've done for us. And I pray that our lives would reflect your righteousness that you've placed in us as you took our sin upon yourself. Lord Jesus, we love you. Receive our worship this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Would you stand with me, please?